Sports Next Door podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Monday, September 27th. I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? Doing well. I thought this podcast might get recorded at 9 p.m. around uh, noon 1 2 because we have a crazy long moving day. Um, I, I don't know. I think for reference, like packing a house normally takes three, four hours. So if we started eight, we'd be done the pack by like noon latest. We finished packing the house at 2.15 p.m., which meant we still had to drive somewhere and unpack everything. But kind of worked out the it took so long because they we had to disassemble so much crap and we thought we were gonna have to reassemble it. They took it over no complaints here nice. so i've had an hour to recover got my weekly dose of spike ball in the day before so life is good how are you doing my friend i'm doing well i'm i'm recovering a little bit from the weekend uh my further weekend coaching the uh and ultimate frisbee team at western and my voice is a little hoarse but i was, i managed to keep it together and uh the boys had a great weekend exceeded expectations with play and I couldn't be more happy it's it's something cool about about watching the the work you put in and the things you teach them to see it actually come to fruition uh it's one thing to play of course I love playing but um there's there's something special about teaching and watching someone learn what you teach what they teach you and, and put it into action so that was pretty special for me I had a great weekend Sweet. Love to hear that. I think we'll go maybe a little quicker through the intro than we have been doing as of late and get right into the itinerary for the week. We're going to kick off as we have been doing lately with the football fan cave. Plenty to sum up from Owen in week three. Then in combat corner, I'm going to talk a little about George St. Pierre as his UFC Hall of Fame induction happened last week. Uh, We got a little basketball storylines. Um, more talking hockey, uh, some sad news for non-European tennis fans, and then we are going to wrap up with baseball bit where I am as excited as everyone to hear the latest on the topsy-turvy holding your breath Blue Jays season as we get closer and closer to playoffs. But that's how we'll wrap up the show. Oh, kick us off with Football Fan Cave, please. I would love to. I would love to. Uh, the very first thing to kind of get a sense of my weekend, I, I unfortunately did not get to catch most of the football because I was actively running around on fields, screaming at guys to do different things. Uh, so I know just about as much of what happened in the football this weekend as I did with Formula One, which I watched a bit of on the car ride to the tournament. Lewis Hamilton setting history, uh, his first driver to win 100 races in Formula One, so I want to give him a quick shout out before I jump into my football fan cave, uh, and that's what I just did. So let's go. Lots of big hitters this week, lots to talk about, um, but I, I will just throw out a little bit of a summary and then my take on things. Justin Tucker setting an NFL record with a game-winning 66-yard field goal against the Detroit Lions. Three seconds left. He just, it had just enough leg, bounced off the crossbar and in. So 
can't get much closer than that. And if you're a Detroit Lions fan, like you already expected to have this pain that they probably just laughed it at it at some point. Like it's it's kind of incredible how much terrible luck that they have as a franchise. Um, not often mentored in the tortured fan base, fan bases uh, bracket, so to say, because they don't even have any moments of pain because they've never been in position to put themselves in pain because all they do is lose. Uh, it's quite tragic. And add this to the long list. The last time that the record was set for longest field goal was against the Detroit Lions. The last time Justin Tucker was in Detroit, he kicked a game-winning 61-yard field goal against the Detroit Lions. It's just pain. It's just constant pain. And I got to feel bad for folks living here in this London area who are most likely Lions fans and maybe Leafs fans for hockey. Uh, they haven't seen anything good happen in, in over 50 years for any, either of those franchises. So pour one out for Lions fans this weekend because that's that's another tough one. And the other remarkable outcome of that kick was it saved so many betters this weekend. Everyone had the Ravens in a tease in one way or another, um, and they pulled that out with an incredible stroke of luck and an ice-cold kick from Justin Tucker to save everyone's money everywhere. And then Justin Tucker himself is, is one of the best kick- kickers of our lifetime. He's probably the best kicker right now, uh, and, and I would match him up against almost anyone in terms of his production over his career. So really impressive stuff from him. And at some point he had to do something historic and now he holds the record for the longest kick. I'd like to quickly throw out, I didn't have this in the notes, but Arizona tried to one up him. Matt Prater who hit a 61 yarder last week uh, went for a 68 yarder today against Jacksonville came up short and returned 109 yards for a touchdown by uh, Agnew. <laughs> they caught the missed field goal and ran they it caught box. the kick yeah yeah just like uh that incredible you'll have max you this is your homework for tonight when we're done watch the uh alabama auburn kick six that's an incredible moment in sports history and and this one wasn't nearly as significant because it's week three of the nfl season the cardinals ended up winning anyways but pretty fun to see that happen and you always got to be so careful as a kicking team because they basically have a bunch of old linemen out there. Right. And then your kicker and your holder, because you're just trying to protect the kicker. So if the guy, this electric guy catching the ball in his own end zone with 30 yards of speed behind him catches it, you're going to be in trouble. You just don't have mobile guys to cover a kick like that. So it was a poor decision from Arizona. Luckily they still pulled out the victory. A really big storyline from this weekend is the struggle of the rookie quarterbacks. Four of the five quarterbacks drafted in the first round started this weekend for their respective teams and all had really poor weekends. Mac Jones threw a couple of interceptions against the Saints in the Patriots loss. Justin Fields and the Bears had 68 passing yards total. And when we and they had one net passing yard because they count sacks as negative passing yards, which doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Uh, and their total net offensive movement. So yards gained versus yards lost was 19 yards less than Justin Tucker's game-winning field goal. (laughs) So just a brutal game from the Bears 
And the Cleveland Browns, led by Miles Garrett, had nine sacks in the game. Miles Garrett had four and a half. A uh, really big win for them, and not a great showing for Justin Fields in his first career start. But it looked like the game plan wasn't set up to give him success. So hopefully, the the Bears coaching staff will come back next week with something better. Trevor Lawrence. He's just out there slinging. <laughs> he, he might be along the lines of Peyton Manning and Brett Favre this year with a bunch of touchdowns, but also a bunch of picks. It's free reign for him to do whatever he wants. No one's taking his spot, and they, they don't protect him. So it's going to be a lot of the same this year for Jacksonville, who has now lost 17 games in a row since last season. And then the last guy to talk about, I actively started the Broncos defense, and I was very excited about this game as a Broncos fan and, and Zach Wilson came through for me throwing two interceptions. The jets did not score in this game. It was 26 to nothing final and the Broncos man three and O on the season tied with the Las Vegas Raiders who are also three and O after being the dolphins as the Kings of the AFC West. Meanwhile, the chiefs with their loss to the Los Angeles chargers are one and two and sit in last place in the AFC West who would have thought, after three weeks of the season, this is where they'd be. The other team that was surprising in terms of record, the Indianapolis Colts are 0-3 to start the year. Some people had them pegged as, as contenders for their division. Carson Wentz has been horrific um, injuries and then just poor play. So the Colts are looking for another answer at quarterback uh, as, as they start to squander their season very early on. And then the Panthers, of course, we talked about at the end of last week, had a really great shot to start the season 3-0. and They do just that, dominating the Houston Texans, uh, and, and they're looking good going into their next week matchup against the Dallas Cowboys, who are playing right now as we speak. The Cincinnati Bengals, a couple of upsets. In the book here, Cincinnati beats the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, great performance by Joe Burrow and, and the Bengals a young team with a lot of picks in the last couple of years. They hadn't been good, but maybe their young talent is starting to piece it together. Meanwhile, on the other side, Ben Roethlisberger looks like he should retire, uh, but the Steelers don't necessarily have anyone behind him. That's reliable. Dwayne Haskins looks to be the backup. Um, and the last time we heard from him, he was at a strip club in Washington. Uh, the Rams, Los Angeles Rams in my game of the week beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, high high scoring game to no one's surprise, but Matthew Stafford has been lighting it up so far. Three touchdowns, two to Cooper Cup, who has been an incredible fantasy pickup for anyone who drafted him later than than he was expected to go because he is dominating right now. And the Rams defense just did enough to slow down the Buccaneers um, and look to the Rams offense to continue flying next week against the Arizona Cardinals. The last game talking about here, another upset, the Minnesota Vikings beating the Seattle Seahawks without their starting running back, Dalvin Cook. Um, Madison was fantastic and was basically 90% of Cook's production. And Minnesota showed that they can really move the ball uh, and, and definitely have the potential to be a team that can catch some teams unaware on weeks because I don't think they're necessarily a contender for the playoffs but they have a team that is built to, to really upset some games with the way that they can score and put up points. They've got fantastic skill positions uh, with Thielen, with Jefferson, with Dalvin Cook, with Madison. Um, and Kirk Cousins, despite 
all of the downsides, he's still a very competent quarterback in the NFL. You could do a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. My fantasy performer of the week is Justin Herbert with 38 points. The second-year quarterback outslings Patrick Mahomes and gets the Chargers a much-needed victory. Uh, two touchdowns to my boy Mike Williams, who has been lighting it up so far this season. And, yeah, Justin Herbert, man. The Miami Dolphins definitely regretting taking Tua Tagovailoa uh, with the pick ahead of him in in the 2020 draft. And uh, it could be a really big miss because Herbert looks to be on a trajectory towards stardom the way he just can throw almost any ball down the field. He's, he's an incredible passer. Looking forward to next week, week four already of the NFL season. Any other year, this would be the quarter mark already. Hard to hard right. to believe that it feels like it started yesterday, but we do have the extra week of games this year. So not quite a quarter of the way through the season. I'm looking forward to the Cardinals and the Rams should be a high scoring affair. And then the other game, Tom Brady's return to new England. The first time he plays in new England, uh, since he left, he comes back a super bowl champion with the Buccaneers. Um, and it will be very interesting to see how he is received by the Foxborough faithful. Uh, so looking forward to that one for sure. What's your gut feeling? I think they're going to applaud him. Six Super Bowls is definitely a solid contribution. There are going to be fans who, who might be otherwise, but the general vibe that I'm getting is that they're going to be happy for him and then they're going to want to beat him. Yeah, that's how most yeah. homecomings go. It's how I'm going to feel about Kyle coming back do you see lowry did media day today in his heat jersey him and bam and jimmy were taking the photos you know how they do like the big three photos and stuff like that it, it hurt a little bit for sure i did not like it yeah that's gonna be a weird feeling <laughs> yeah that's a tough one but that'll do it for fantasy football uh not fantasy football my football cave Lots of lots of words, and I am pretty pooped from the weekend still, but uh, we're going to power through here, and I'm going to hand it off to my running back. <laughs> Max, take it away for uh, for combat corner here. Yeah, going to try and recreate our most popular video on YouTube to this date with another legacy UFC fighter video. Uh, that Habib one went very well, and I just kind of shot from the hip recollecting everything or my experience as a fan with a fighter and with a fighter much closer to my heart and I think most Canadians um, it's a great opportunity to talk about George St. Pierre as he was finally much deservedly inducted into the Hall of Fame last week. So the first time I ever heard about George St. Pierre was actually quite random. I think I was probably 12 years old um, playing video games and I came up from the basement one night and found my dad watching UFC on his laptop, which I have memories of him telling us off for watching UFC, maybe because it led to us like beating the shit out of each other right after. Uh, <laughs> so I was a bit surprised to see him watching UFC, um, but I found out he was a longtime casual fan but more importantly, he was watching because George St. Pierre was fighting Nick Diaz. 
and I came up right as the fifth round was ending. A dominant display from GSP uh, earned him another title defense. I think that would be his second last one before Johnny Hendricks. So clearly as a fan, I missed my window to watch George in his prime, which is a huge disappointment. And that probably would have been the ultimate high as a fan, watching a Canadian champion defend the belt again and again and again. But luckily Fight Pass exists, so I have seen all of his fights in retrospect. And uh, even more luckily, I think the second pay-per-view card I ever like watched bottom to top in my apartment was on uh, George's I guess we can call it now his last hurrah in the octagon where he won the 185 belt joining esteemed company as the double champ or a double champ against Michael Bisping and that seems like as good a performance to start with as any he came out so impressive Uh, the body sidekicks mixing it in there Uh, Just the movement, the angles, the shots he was choosing. He looked unstoppable for the first three, four minutes. And as the smaller man looked like he was just outclassing Bisping. Um, But those type of fights aren't the most entertaining fights to watch. And luckily Bisping was able to come back into it. I used his size a little, started feeling like George couldn't knock him out with one punch, walking forward, getting more aggressive, uh, forced George to use his wrestling. And that's when the size difference became incredibly apparent as despite like timing a perfect takedown and getting the countdown, couldn't do anything with it and got more beat up on top than Bisping did on bottom. And just when, as the fight was going, he was starting to look tired. I was getting nervous. My friend was getting nervous. Uh, He landed that beautiful hook, which we can say now was on a side where Bisping couldn't see. So yeah, that's maybe a bit detrimental, but we didn't know that at the time. And oh my God, just lost our minds. It, It was such... An incredible moment seeing this like guy who you thought his only path to victory was grind out and wrestle out the decision for five rounds and we just found out his wrestling wasn't going to cut it against Bisping because of the size difference and he drops him standing um in the midst of that euphoria the trap he set looking like he's gonna ground and pound then looking like he's gonna let him up and then landing the rear naked choke with his left hand was it's beautiful. That was like top five live moment watching UFC for me. And that's the regret I have with not having gotten to see George St. Pierre fight through his prime as champion because he just put out so many of those amazing moments. Uh, he did it all. He showed weakness in his losses against Matt Hughes, against Matt Sarah. And he showed improvement from that weakness. He got better, beating Matt Hughes twice, outclassing Matt Sarah so bad there was no need for a trilogy fight. Uh, he learned and grew from those early struggles, from being the young cocky contender who got caught in an armbar against Matt B- Hughes, from thinking he's on top of the world just because he's the champion and then getting knocked out in one of like the highest... Um, 
bedding up sets of all time in a UFC championship fight against Matt Serra. And I think those two moments molded the champion GSP more than any other in his career because we just saw so much dominance throughout that championship run that there's really the Johnny Hendricks fight and the Carlos Carlos Condit head kick uh, that you can talk about when you talk about his close calls as a champion and the Condit head kick he recovered from beautifully and I think we all are pretty sure Johnny Hendricks was juicing so no need to let that fight be too controversial um I feel like I'm beating around the bush of the like meat of what was so amazing about GSP but just the most incredible athlete who's so such a smart tactician in there that years of training get wiped out and nullified. It didn't matter if he just started wrestling as he came into MMA. He was still able to take down and control like D1 NCAA champ people like Matt Hughes. <laughs> um, the list goes well beyond there. Like John Fitch, Josh Koscheck. Oh my God, I can't talk about GSP without talking about the Josh Koscheck fights. That that moment watching live after the first round when GSP broke Josh's orbital bone with a jab and all of the bell center knew it and just lost their mind. Oh my, I have so many regrets about not being able to see GSP's career play out live. I'm so happy I did get to see that one Bisping fight. I'm so happy George retired when he knew it was time to retire. I've heard him talk in podcasts about the risk reward calculation. And at this point in his career, there's no reward high enough to make the risk worthwhile to come back. I think Usman's putting together a great legacy. And when it's all said and done, who knows where the dust will settle, but you can't ask for literally anything more than George put into the octagon someone who was an amazing striker, even better wrestling, who made the fight happen where he wanted it to happen, who was classy beyond belief at a time when the sport really needed to show that side of itself. Um, someone who's inspired so many mixed martial artists, so many athletes, including myself. Um, it's, I don't feel like I've done him justice at all in this bit but that's really all I've got for it. Um, so congratulations, George. The Hall of Fame nomination is well-deserved. I'm looking forward to whatever comes next from you. Actually, maybe Owen will follow your career more now these days as uh, Baltrop. 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 There we go. Um, yeah, passing out of my domain and into his. Hope to see you someday on Mount Royal going for a run. Uh, cheers. So we're back for basketball, and we just talked about last week Aaron Gordon's contract and the Nuggets. They got money to burn. They go ahead and give Michael Porter Jr., the max contract, five years, $172 million. It can scale up to 208 if he makes an all-NBA team uh, within the next couple of years. Big money for a guy that 
fell in the draft due to injury concerns and many feared that he wouldn't ever ascend to the caliber player that everyone had projected him being coming out of high school. The Nuggets took a chance on him uh, late in the, in the first round and he has hit as, as a fantastic third option so far to Jokic and Murray um, and quite possibly based on what his ceiling is as a 6'10 scorer, he could even be the number one scoring option on this team. While it is still run by Nikola Jokic, the reigning MVP, um, he is a fantastic player to put beside these, these two because of his ability to cut off the ball for Jokic, um, his ability to hit really tough contested shots if you have a larger player on Jokic making his life miserable, getting him outside, and and then Jamal Murray with his injury for this first half of the season. They're going to rely on Michael Porter immensely to carry them for through this first part of the season, and, and there's potential there for him to be a 30-point scorer with the type of game that he has. He scores at all three levels. Um, he hits tough, contested shots with his length and – He's still continuing to get better. Um, do I think he's worth the max right now? I'm hesitant to say so. I don't think he's shown enough compared to the other guys in this draft who have gotten the max. Uh, Doncic, Trey Young, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, the other three getting max money. I, I was kind of surprised that Porter got this money, but the Nuggets are betting big time that he is going to continue to develop and turn into a player where that is completely worth the price tag. Uh, and they're going all in now with this core of Jokic, Murray, Porter, and Gordon for the next for the foreseeable future. And they're going to try and tool around that. But those are some big contracts all there. Three max players and then Gordon with with that kind of mid-20s deal. So uh, Max, I guess I'd get your quick thoughts here on what you think that the potential of that core is. Yeah, I, I think we've said on this pod before, we have a pretty good idea that of the ceiling for Michael Porter Jr. He's currently one of the best players in the NBA named Kevin Durant. Um, if Porter can get close to that, that's going to be terrifying. Jokic already, I mean, MVP. Um, that I, I feel like Jokic alone should be able to, if you put the right scores around him, bring any team far. And Murray, I... I'm still not too sure with Murray. Like it was the playoffs last year where it really was like, okay, this guy can be like the number one option on a team and obviously the injury, but even pre that, I don't think we saw quite that same. So I think the ceiling on that core is for sure an NBA championship team. And I think that's the caliber they're at, but obviously it's an incredibly deep Western division they're going to have to get through to make it happen. Um, yeah, I, but I think offensively they will be able to score with the best of them. Uh, defensively, that might be where they run into <laughs> some issues. It's a great point. I, I completely agree with you there. Um, offensively, we saw it in the playoffs. Denver got to the second round with basically four bench players and Jokic. Like when you can put almost anyone around Jokic and that team is going to have a solid offensive efficiency rating and be able to put up points because of what he does. The success of this team is going to come from 
Porter and Gordon being able to give them reliable wing defense. We've said it now for two, three, four years. To win the West, you have to have wing defenders. LeBron, Luka, Kawhi, Paul George, Devin Booker, um, all these guys now on teams that can score and create and, and be real, real problems uh, for you to defend. And, and if Gordon can take that lead defensive role, as I've mentioned many times, he looked really great guarding Kawhi uh, in that first round series. Um, but Porter as well has the frame to be able to be a great defender. And maybe he'll never be that on-ball defender that you want. That's pretty taxing on a guy with his injury history. But he could be one of those fantastic options. Kawhi and Paul George did it brilliantly this year where he clogs up just a ton of space as that uh, wing defender where he can get his hands into the lane as players are driving, but be long enough to get out and contest corner threes and just really mess up plays being that corner defender. And, and Kawhi and Paul George are the, the shining star example of it where Kawhi could strip someone driving in the lane, but also be able to steal any outlet passes that came toward his man in the corner. Um, and I could see Porter being that also a guy that could come from the weak side and, and protect the rim a little bit. And then he's been a fabulous rebounder already. So that that's quite possibly what his ceiling could be on the defensive end. And it'll really be up to Aaron Gordon to be that on ball stopper for a lot of those wing players in, in the West. And their success is going to hinge upon that when it gets into the second, third round of the playoffs. I think it's a good gamble to take and, the Suns have just shown a little injury luck. Your best players step up and anything can happen. So excited exactly. to see what's next for these Nuggets. Exactly. Looking forward to it. The NBA season is 22 days away. October 19th wow. is, the, is the start date. Um, but even closer than that is the NHL. You just around the corner. Uh, I think it's now three weeks away uh, from for a little bit less than that from today uh we've already got some preseason action we're not going to talk about the game underway right now um because the leafs are not doing well but maybe we'll talk a little bit about the the first game where the leafs did do well uh but first before we get there a couple of signing news that feel so long ago now the minnesota wild get their guy kareel kaprizov five years 45 million it's actually lower than i thought it would end up being uh based on him threatening to go play in Russia uh, and them, whoever in the KHL offering him an obscene amount of money, but Minnesota managed to get it done. I think that's totally worth the price yeah. based on what he did as a rookie last season and leading that wild team to the playoffs and being their most exciting player by a long shot. Um, so it's a great deal. And apparently the, the uh, cap penalties they're going to incur on the suitor and Parise contracts actually come into effect next year. So this is a one year last dance type window before, before Minnesota gets absolutely buried by cap troubles uh, that we mentioned a couple months ago, where basically like a quarter of their cap is going to be eaten up by debt money. So Kaprizov, they get him done and they're going to hope that he leads his ship towards a pretty successful season in Minnesota. It'd be very fascinating to watch. Yeah, that, I feel like the sophomore slump seems to appear a lot more frequently in hockey than other sports, but your hands are tied. He's 
head and shoulders the best player on the team. Uh, it's hard to imagine them having any of the success they had last season without him. So no choice but to pay him. And fi five years is long enough that you're not in the situation we'll talk about with Buffalo in a second, but uh, not so long that if he turns into a Yakupov, say, you're stuck with an eight-year deal. Yeah, 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 exactly. All right, we will move on to Buffalo. These poor guys, man. Uh, they do get a, a solid deal done with Rasmus Dahlin. Um, it's a bridge deal. It's a pretty expensive bridge deal at, at three years, 18 million. But for a defenseman who was picked first overall, I believe, yeah. um, of his caliber, I believe he's right-handed as well. This is really, really good value uh, for the Sabres. And so they actually did something competent for the first time in a while. Uh, but just before that, all week, we hear stories about Jack Eichel. He still hasn't got the surgery. He's been placed on IR, and he's been stripped of the cap captaincy by the Buffalo Sabres. So things are really, really fractured right there. They're about to ruin this guy's career unless they somehow trade him because he hasn't got the surgery, and so he's got to do that and then recover. So it may be a while till we see Jack Eichel, and it's just really, really upsetting because he is so fun to watch even though he's in our division. And, and a lot of the comparisons between him and Matthews have given me grief in the past. It's still a really talented player and you don't want to have him missing this time. And it's just an embarrassing situation for Buffalo in the NHL. For sure. I, if I'm a Sabres fan, that dallying contract says like, let me put in my time and then get the hell out of here. So I'm a little worried about that. Um, obviously, probably has learned his lesson looking at the Eichel situation and didn't want to jump into anything super long-term. And yeah, there's nothing really new to say on the Eichel shitty situation for both parties. I can understand why looking at like the NBA, the Sabres aren't going to go, you want to trade? We'll get you out of here. No problem. Um, but they have all the leverage and they're using it as, I mean, if they were like a powerhouse team, I'd maybe be a little more critical of them, but like, it's hard to hate on them when they're at the bottom and the one thing they have that could elevate them wants out. So they should at least, it makes sense that they're going to try and get their value for him. But yeah, hope to see him skating in the NHL before the end of this regular season. So, so here's a fun zag. This might be one of our YouTube segments here. I'm going to do a fun zag. I think the Buffalo Sabres could actually turn things around in a big way if they just have one more bad year. Okay. You have got one of Shane Wright or Connor Bedard coming in the next two drafts. They're both touted as generational talents uh, that Buffalo – obviously on paper right now has a great shot of getting one of those two guys over the next two years. Um, probably better than most other teams. Arizona's in there. Uh, and then I guess maybe Seattle would be in there. We don't know what they're going to look like. Um, but some great talent up for grabs. You let Eichel get the surgery, but you keep him on the team. Owen Power plays one more year in Michigan, comes back. Rasmus Dahlin's still here. Uh, with with that kind of core, and you build around, you could kind of make that work. <laughs> like there is a path forward. If again, 
This is super optimistic. Everything has to break right. Knowing Buffalo, Eichel will get moved. Owen Power will come back from university and be a bust. Darlene will move on after the bridge deal, and they'll have, they'll get one of the guys. Maybe it'll be Connor Bedard, but it'll be a McKinnon or a McDavid type situation where he's just there with nothing around him. Yeah, it's funny you say. If you told me seven years ago the Toronto Maple Leafs would have John Tavares, and then a near generational talents and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and that Willie Nylander guy can score some goals as well. Oh, he looks so good. We'll talk about that. <laughs> um, anyway, a core of four really good players only goes so far in the NHL as we have learned harshly time and time again. But at this point, kind of hope the Sabres get a break that's not lottery draft related. Hopefully, for their fans' sake. Yeah. Not the team. I could care less about the team. (laughs) Right. Uh, You liked how Willie looked the other night? Yeah, that's basically really the biggest thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, God, I'm. it's just putting on the clown makeup every morning, you know? Not going to get hurt again. Here we go. I watched four highlights of William Nylander and – it's, I'm back on. Cup's coming home this year. Leafs, full send. Let's go. All in again. Hurt me again. Like, I'm a sucker for pain. William Nylander was looking so fast, looking so steady, flying down the wing. Set up Jake, Jake Muzzin for the first goal of the game. Tons of possession. Um, so excited to see what he can do this year, take another step forward in his development. He was maybe their best player in, in the first round series against Montreal last year. For sure, their best forward. And so um, looking forward to seeing him build on that. Jake Muzzin looked fine. John Tavares, so awesome to see him back. Kind of forgot the, the pretty traumatic injury that happened in, in that series. And back in, in front of Toronto, fans are there, 10,000 people in the building, scores a power play goal, which is going to be a big point of emphasis this year for the Leafs. Um, Everyone got really excited. And, and then I guess the last point here I wanted to touch on was Josh Hosang, a guy in who Chell players are probably familiar with from probably Chell 16, 16 to now, where he was had the like what elite or maybe top six forward potential in Chell was a guy that you could pick up in the first round and, and he would be in your top six a couple of years down the line as a solid producer. Um, really, really sick player and just never reached that level of maturity to put things together at the professional level, late for practices, um, poor attitude. At least this is what comes from the coaches and the teams that let him go. And he just played overseas in Europe last year and the Leafs offered him a PTO and didn't look bad in his first game out there. He said all the right things at media day talking about how he, there were a lot of things he didn't need to hear uh, or he didn't hear that he needed to hear. And his coach in, in Sweden started to get through to him and he could be poised to have a solid season. If, if he can even figure out like, that Galchenyuk role. Very shocked that the Leafs didn't bring back Galchenyuk, who's on a PTO with Arizona. Um, but Josh Hosang could be another one of these endless 
kind of plug and play guys in the bottom six or even slotting up higher in the lineup, depending on what the needs end up being. Uh, so he's got a great shot, but if he's looking good, then the Leafs got to snatch him up quick because anyone can sign a player on a PTO. Uh, there's no restrictions there. Um, so interesting to see how he performs the rest of the preseason, but a name that has a high level of pedigree and, and people could be very excited about, he just needs to put things together, but he's got a fantastic opportunity in front of him. If he could make a line of either Austin and Marner or John Tavares and William Neeland, right? That's, that's a dream come true. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Leafs fans, I hope you're gotten for punishment because we got another season right around the bend. And no, this is the fun part. This is the part where we build up our hopes, excitement, dreams, happiness. The punishment comes later. So enjoy, enjoy the success while we have it. Yes. That's going to be all for talking hockey this episode. Uh, Tell me about another uh, team that got punished this weekend, Max. Oh, man. This was a. I'm glad I didn't follow it too much. Uh, in hindsight, it's not that shocking. We're talking about the Laver Lave Cup, which happened in Boston in its fourth year running that pits Team Europe against Team World in a series of tennis matches, both singles and doubles. Um, if you looked at the rosters, you would notice five or six of the top 10 players in the world were on Team Europe. None of the top 10 players were on Team World. So maybe it's not that shocking a result um, that Team Europe smashed Team World with 14 matches to one, the only victory for Team World coming. Uh, in doubles by Shapovalov and I think it was Opelka, not Isner. I'm not certain on that though. Uh, but go Shapo, getting us that one W. Um, but yeah, I mean, a team with Medvedev, the US Open winner, Zverev, the Olympic gold medalist, Rublev, who's really came on strong the last half of the ATP season, Sitsipas, um, Berrettini. And I think Rudd was the sixth man who's might be the only one not ranked in the top 10. I'm not sure where he's at at this moment. Uh, I mean, enough said that Djokovic, the best player in the world, not being on that team. And it's still like stacked to the grills. Um, yeah, it, it seems like a really fun event. Uh, it's an awesome idea, especially to get all these athletes who spend their entire season competing against each other in a team format. But uh, maybe they need to add like Russia to the world team or something, find a little more parity because that's four straight victories for Team Europe. So better luck next year, boys. Uh, yeah, that was that was a brutal beating, but the at least the U.S. got its revenge on Europe uh, in the Ryder Cup uh, golfing event where it was. Team USA versus Team World. Uh, the U.S. pulled it out. Similarly, eight of the top 10 players in the world on the U.S. team. And uh, one of the few times you actually see Bryson DeChambeau and, and Brooks Kepka working together. It was funny to see that because they do not like each other, but they were celebrating together. Uh, a big win there for the U.S. in the Ryder Cup. All right, we're on to our 
final segment of baseball banner uh, in the last turn of the Blue Jays season. Believe it or not, Max, almost coming to an end. Six games left in the season. A series that starts tomorrow against the New York Yankees. The biggest series of their season. Basically need to sweep that to jump into a playoff spot. They are two games behind the Yankees. Uh, one game behind the Red Sox. But the Red Sox play the Orioles, uh, which should probably be a sweep for them. Um, so a big, big series against the Yankees. The pitching needs to come through here because the Yankees have been hot offensively. And yeah, this is it for the days. They, they've gone, they've invested heavily into this team now. This is, they want to start the window and, and start winning. And they need to prove it this, this week as they go up against the team that's right ahead of them in the standings. And if they can pull this out, um, it'll be one or Boston and New York in that wild card game. So get used to it. Um, Going to be really, really fun. Got 30,000 fans in attendance at the, at the Rogers Center in Toronto when this gets going. And, and the atmosphere is going to be really awesome. It's been a long time since the Blue Jays have played playoff intensity boss baseball in Toronto. Uh, so looking forward to that one. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll even throw a game on. Who knows? What? Maybe. That's how special this is. Max might get involved in the baseball. I did say that about football a couple of weeks ago, and it has yet to happen. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to putting on Survivor this week. Um, that's underway, first time in, in over a year because of COVID. And uh, also, for any Marvel fans, what if season finale part one's coming out? Uh, what if Ultron got the Infinity Stones? Should be a fun one. Should be a fun one. <laughs> for all you comic book lovers out there max anything non-sport related that you're into this week god there's been so much amazing music coming out uh i don't know if i mentioned i had got like destroyed and for live music uh, i was supposed to see poppy whose album came out friday and a little disappointed but still a couple great songs on it um but i would love to see her live that was supposed to happen end of October, got canceled like start of September, a weekend. And I was just discovering these other two bands on Dead Poet Society who had an album I'm really into come out around March, uh, Salt, Into Deep, Coda, all killer songs and Bad Flower headlining another band I've really just gotten into whose album also just came out Friday. Um, and that show, the two Canadian dates got canceled. Also, Spirit Box has an amazing album that came out a week and a half ago, and they're somehow doing Toronto, Vancouver, not Montreal, so might have to hit Toronto up uh, March 8th. So my concert luck has been a little poor as of late, but uh, man, there's been like seven or eight albums that have come out in the last three weeks, and I'm just loving discovering new music right now. Thanks for giving me the chance to chat about that. Yeah, of course. We need we need we need to get the emotion back a little bit. I think we're fading here in August, September, but once sports start rolling again, we're really gonna get back into it and there's gonna be a lot of great content coming soon. So expect more of that enthusiasm as Max will have he literally will be drowning in sports over the next couple coming weeks with with the McGill gig and then 
analyzing uh, the professional sports leagues that'll be getting underway. It will be a hectic November and hopefully a fun October. This is our last September episode. Hope you're enjoying your fall. Sports Next Door signing out.